ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Welcome to another edition of Hard in the Paint with David Grubb, and I am proud to be joined today by writer for The Athletic and longtime uh, New Orleans area sports reporter, the one and only Larry Holder. Larry, how are you doing today? Thank you for joining me. I'm good, man. Good to see uh, your podcast is uh, moving and shaking. Uh, you know, it's a uh, uh, look, and obviously uh, we've got a lot to talk about here in New Orleans sports, so, uh, you know, with uh, with some wild and craziness up at LSU and uh, the Saints kind of being erratic but uh, yeah look it's it's been uh, it's been a weird 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 type of off season slash season here in New Orleans yeah i mean look we're still in what seems like the longest coaching search ever for the New Orleans Pelicans uh, <laughs> I mean, everybody thinks it's Stan Van Gundy at this point, but your guess is as good as mine. I mean, I, I just don't know. I haven't heard anything. And I think, it's, are- I think it's pretty – yeah, I think it's pretty funny that, like, like all, a lot of these teams have vacancies and then they're instantly filled and the Pelicans have had theirs for, like, it feels like an eternity and they're just kind of uh, taking their sweet time, curious to see what happens. What I'm, uh, you know, what concerns me is, you know, we could very much be on the verge of what has now become an endless NBA cycle of anticipation for young athletes. So Zion goes into year two after a what everybody would say is it was disappointing for year one, not necessarily his performance. I mean, you know, he showed flashes of true brilliance as, as the number one pick in the draft, but the number of games, the way the season ended for him, it was a disappointment. You can't have two years of disappointment with Zion Williamson. Not in this NBA, uh, not where they want him on the main stage. Oh, no chance. And when you look at – if it was, here's the thing. Alvin Gentry would still be employed if it wasn't a disappointment. So, you know, that's why they're looking for a new coach. And, uh, you know, and it's – until then, you, you really don't know the complete direction of, of how this team's going to go. So, uh, yeah, you're, you and me, we're both just kind of – sitting around in anticipation, waiting to see what's going to happen. You head across the facility to the Saints, and they have the Carolina Panthers coming to the Dome this weekend. You got two stories going on simultaneously, <laughs> one on the field with the Saints and how you know they look. And then, of course, you have the conflict between the organization and the city of New Orleans uh, playing out as well. Uh, just battles on all fronts for the black and gold. Well, that yeah, it's, it's funny we mentioned that, and – you also have Michael Thomas, who they sat out a game, not because of injury, but because of a fight and insubordination. And so, look, you've got – you've definitely got some uh, some storylines heading into this. And we haven't even talked about the opponent where uh, you've got Teddy Bridgewater coming back, making his return to the Dome, and uh, the boy wonder, uh, Joe Brady, who I can honestly tell you I've, I did not know when he was with the Saints, I mean, I know all the assistants, but he was below the assistants. And now he is an offensive coordinator who actually, if he keeps going the same route, might be a head coach 
soon, uh, which is really wild to say. But, yeah, look, we're talking about the Saints maybe, maybe not going to Tiger Stadium, battle with the city, maybe going to let fans in. And then, oh, by the way, uh, the Saints uh, haven't been great on the field. Uh, they've been okay, but they haven't been great. And their division is far more competitive than we probably gave it credit for, really in part because uh, I didn't anticipate Carolina actually kind of even being in the hunt right now, and yet they are. Yeah, I mean, Carolina is really – you know, they're, they're a Christian McCaffrey injury away from probably beating Tampa Bay and having, you know, being four and two. Um, and they've been competitive throughout this season. And like you said, I, considering they only brought back two starters on defense and, and that offense had, hadn't had really any outside of McCaffrey, any experienced playmakers, it was a lot of skepticism from, from all ends. And yet here they are playing a very physical type of football defensively. They have a lot of athletes. Um, you know, Curtis Samuel is outstanding. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater doesn't make mistakes. And I think he's more than a game manager. This is kind of a – for a Saints team that's trying to get itself together, this is a good, a, a good test, but maybe a bad matchup. Well, look, I'm curious to see if McCaffrey comes back. Uh, he, he, I think he's kind of on the borderline of being able to come back. Regardless, Mike Davis has done a, a really good job in his absence. And uh, before Carolina lost last week, look, they were 3-0 without Christian McCaffrey. It's like, hey, we've seen Teddy Bridgewater uh, be able to overcome not having a star player. I mean, last year he did with the Saints, or him being the guy. But look, the fact that uh, they've been able to kind of piecemeal it together uh, and keep this thing going uh, is, is certainly something that I didn't anticipate. I didn't even anticipate it, even if McCaffrey was healthy. And I, I think you also bring up a good point where defensively, I think Carolina is playing a little bit better because you lost so many key pieces to that team, uh, pieces that you were so used to seeing, and uh, they're – kind of being able to keep it together. And so, you know, this is certainly going to be a test for them uh, against the Saints offense that I feel like is, is getting better. And if Michael Thomas doesn't get in any fistfights or in arguments with coaches, uh, he's probably going to be playing this week. So, but yeah, like and you mentioned the receiver core. I mean, Robbie Anderson, uh, 566 yards, 40 receptions. Uh, you know, that's not something that I thought would occur right away. And DJ Moore, uh, also has 474 yards receiving. And so, look, those are your one-two bing-bang. And the fact that they've been able to develop those two so quickly to kind of be their top two guys uh, is certainly a testament to Teddy Bridgewater getting them the ball and Joe Brady kind of designing the offense much like the Saints offense, honestly. That – the Saints offense has been interesting in the fact that we've had great performances by Alvin Kamara at times. We've seen Emmanuel Sanders step up. But we've also seen some, you know, there's been a lot of talk from fans and from observers about the way the Saints have, you know, utilized Taysom Hill, the way that some of the play calling has gone. It just doesn't feel right. It just, whatever you're watching each week with the Saints, even when they win, it doesn't seem right. And we thought that the, the fact that this was a group that was returning the overwhelming majority of its players from last year was going to be an advantage, but it has not played out that way so far for whatever reason. I think part of it is play calling. Uh, you mentioned Taysom Hill. I, that drives people bonkers. And, uh, you know, I just uh, have a, a story up at The Athletic uh, just about 
the possibilities of Drew Brees' successor leading up to this game because Teddy Bridgewater, I thought, could have been that guy. So I talked to a bunch of experts around the league. And, of course, Taysom Hill obviously comes up. And they they see how social media reacts when Taysom Hill gets to play, whether he's he's either – great or terrible and they're, they're like the vitriol is crazy <laughs> you know of how many people are now so down on it and uh wonder why sean payton is kind of force feeding that i kind of get wonder that too i feel like that people know what's coming there and look at least in the meantime uh, you've seen emmanuel sanders become a consistent piece to the puzzle you know traquan smith has been good and then kind of disappeared Marquez Callaway, I think that's a good addition. They're probably going to start using him a little bit more. Uh, look, he's a deep threat guy. Let's see if we if the Saints can kind of use that with him as opposed to the shorter Deontay Harris who has speed but probably isn't uh, as good of a receiver. And, and, and David, honestly, I, I, I'm kind of wondering of the mishmash of the offensive line. I mean, because – I see Cesar Ruiz and I see Nick Easton play and I, the, the, the line gets a little bit more stable. And of course, the, one of the highest paid guys on that group is Andres Pete and it becomes instable or unstable or whatever you want to call it. So it's, uh, uh, yeah, he's always a lightning rod, but uh, you know, at least here's the thing. They won three games. Like we can say all this stuff. The fact that they've won three games and they're three and two and they're in the thick of this, uh, like they can, I feel like they can only get better, and that's a unit I think can certainly get better. Do you think the defense can correct its issues, though? Is it scheme? Is it um, Dennis Allen? Is it the talent? Uh, you know, just is it the contracts that are looming over some of these guys' heads? What happened to this defense that before the season people were talking about potentially being a top ten, if not a top five defense? I think it's probably a combination of both uh, a, a little bit. I, I know they've made some tweaks and they haven't really worked. And yet uh, we've seen star players not play like star players. I mean, that's just a fact. Like Cam Jordan's starting to play better. He didn't play well early. Demario Davis, uh, his coverage skills were supreme last year. That's part of what made him an all pro. He has not been as good in coverage, not nearly as good. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore has struggled. Janoris Jenkins, outside of the pick six, struggled. You have not seen Malcolm Jenkins play great. Uh, Marcus Williams, you have not seen him play great. C.J. Gardner-Johnson. like uh, he, the, And a lot of these guys we're talking about, like these are your star players. They're veteran players. They need to be playing better. And they haven't. And so, uh, you know, this is a week where Teddy Bridgewater knows what he's going to be seeing for the most part. I don't know what kind of different wrinkles they're going to throw at him. But this is somebody who knows the kind of the ins and outs of the Saints. And I'm curious to see how the chess match is and, and say if, if Marshawn Lattimore can hang with a Robbie Anderson or a DJ Moore, if Janoris Jenkins can come back uh, and play. And so you don't have to have uh, backups playing, uh, you know. So it's uh, – but veteran guys should not have be, be having these communication busts either. I mean, that's, that's un, uncalled for. Can't have it. I understand, like – go back to LSU, like I blame that on coaching. Uh, you know, this, I think it's more of a combination of things because, you know, you didn't see these breakdowns habitually uh, with the Saints the last couple of years under Dennis Allen. Why now with veteran players? Like, to me, uh, I think that's more on players than coaches. 
right? The scheme hasn't changed. So yeah, that's what led me to just leads me to think, yeah, something is just isn't going well. And either in the meetings or in communication on field, guys just aren't doing their, getting their jobs done. And you make that, you, you transition to LSU, which is, has one of the worst defenses in the SEC right now. Um, can't stop anything. It, I understand the loss of the talent. This is, but this isn't new to Alabama, to LSU, to Ohio State elite programs. But Bo Pelini, I thought it was a risky hire to bring him back in the first place. He had not seen a ton of defensive success at the schools he had been at since LSU. They bring him back, and they're just – even a change in scheme to what is supposed to be a simpler system than what they ran under Dave Aranda, it doesn't look that simple <laughs> right now. I – was going to give Bo Pelini a chance. Like, I know a lot of people were down when they hired him. And I said, well, look, he's won a national championship with LSU. And Coach Ozeron, I think you're giving him the benefit of doubt. And, like, not like that, not that they can't change this, but, like, LSU still has stud players on defense. Like, they are, they have talented players. Some of the best talent still in the country. And, granted, there's not a lot of – defense being played in the SEC right now. I mean, I think the evolution of the passing attacks for a lot of these schools are, uh, are not giving the SEC defensive feel that we're used to seeing. But to me, I think it's, uh, it's something to where uh, it's coaching. Like, I think it's got to be coaching. And maybe there's other things going on behind the scenes that I'm not privy to this, that, and the other of where Coach Ogeron can say three weeks before the season starts – that this defense is better than the defense we saw last year at any point. And I wrote about this this week. I was like, that was completely unfair. I don't care if you saw it or not. I mean, that's a completely unfair thing to put on these kids, uh, mm-hmm. considering their last four games, they wiped out A&M, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Clemson. And a lot of that was the defense. It, you know, offense was great, but the defense played very well. And you can't say that they're better than that. I mean, that, that to me was over the top and probably a cheap shot at Dave Aranda. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, and I don't get it. Like, why are you doing that? So, but still, uh, look, uh, the expectations now, look, people are wondering if LSU can even go 500, uh, you know, and, and we're not even talking about the injuries at quarterback now at Miles Brennan. We're just talking right. about straight up defense. Like any team, South Carolina wasn't a world beater in the past, but, I mean, can they come in and beat LSU? Maybe. Can Bo Nix get it together for Auburn? Maybe. And then you got Mac Jones and Kyle Trask. And, you know, when Ole Miss is playing well, uh, they can move the ball. And Felipe Franks and Arkansas is all of a sudden doing things. And Kellen Mond can might play well uh, at any given moment. So, like, every game is a question mark now. And it's, it's mainly because of the defense. Yeah, and uh, what I have been surprised too, though, offensively for LSU is that they have not stuck with the running game very well. Um, part of it is because the defense hasn't played well and they've been to have to throw, but still there has not been the emergence of from that group of highly touted backs uh, for someone to seize the, the role of the lead. Um, we know LSU always uses or tries to use a running back by, by committee, but last year Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was the clear-cut number one. Year before, Nick Brosette was the clear cut number one. Um, and no one's been able to establish themselves at that spot for LSU this year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think people will look to someone like John Emery and, and wonder why it's taking so long because he was of all those running backs, even when Clyde Edwards Alaire was at LSU, people were looking at him. He was the most touted 
and one of the most sought after running backs in the country. I mean, LSU got him to flip from Georgia. And obviously we know Georgia produces running backs. And so, uh, you know, I, I think people, Ty Davis price, you know, I don't think, uh, you know, I think we started seeing Chris Curry play a little bit last year, but, you know, if you were going to ask LSU fan, you would assume Emory and Davis price would be one too. And Curry wouldn't be that much in the mix, but, you know, and look, I also feel like offensive line wise, they're still trying to get their act together too. I mean, Austin Deculus is really the only returning starter of that group. I know Ed Ingram has plenty of playing experience, but you know, that group's got to get it together too. And so, uh, you know, even though we we're seeing points and we've seen some progression from miles Brennan and of course, Terrace Marshall's played great. You know, Arik Gilbert is who he is as advertised, uh, but you're right. I mean, LSU was very good last year, historically good, because they could mix it up and run it too. And, like I, you know, I think teams are starting to kind of tee off, knowing all they're going to do is throw, throw, throw. And so the teams aren't really respecting the running game. Quickly, uh, before we move on, Tulane has been a, a, a nice surprise at two and three. Um, considering where they could have been with the just offensively, I thought they would be a disaster with all the losses that they had. Um, but they've been, you know, okay. Um, how good a job is being done uptown? I think okay is being nice because my expectation level for Tulane is now higher. Like, gotcha. I, I know Willie Fritz quite well, I know Troy Dannon quite well, I know a lot of the staff. And, uh, like, I can tell you uptown, they're not happy that they're 0-3 in the American. And they're like the Atlanta Falcons of keeping leads. I mean, mm-hmm. they can't – they haven't done it. I, you know, they played really well against SMU. I was at that game. Uh, and, and I do think they've got a good quarterback with Michael Pratt coming up. But, uh, look, you know, they haven't they, – they basically just are what they are, uh, a middle-of-the-road team. And I think people expect more from that now. And, you know, it's not like this cute little nice story anymore. Like when you're getting to a point and if you're going to plateau, uh, people want to see improvement. And look, Willie Fritz has done a really good job turning the program around. But when you start tasting success, you want more. And, uh, you know, I, you know, this might not be the year maybe because they've been recruiting really well. Maybe it's next year uh, where they – it all together but uh, you know I, I think like they should have beat Navy I mean that that yes. should have happened and you know it, it's just something that uh, you turn the ball you, t- you take the ball away five times from Houston and you lose by 18 we got problems so uh, you know even though uh, uh, you know I think we're beyond this oh let's just give them a pass no I don't think you can give them a pass anymore like they need to be good in the American and right now they just they're not as good as, as maybe I thought they'd be at this point yeah, that's been the discouraging thing is them being unable to hold those leads. Um, that the Navy one was almost historically bad. Just just watching it uh, from a distance. I hope they get it turned around because you're right. The expectations are no longer. It's not enough to be six and six and make a minor bowl. They're, they're, they 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 want to contend for division titles at the very least, if not a conference championship. And uh, you know, Tulane's been down this road before. Of temporary pops of success that end up going back to mediocrity or worse. Yeah, they certainly have. And well, that's the thing. Now Willie Fritz is under, basically he can coach until he doesn't want to coach anymore. And it's not like I don't have confidence in Willie Fritz. I get it. I do think the quarterback jumble, they didn't know what to do. Now they've got a firm grasp of where they're going in the future. So that can help. Uh, Losing Tajay Spears really hurts. I mean, he was, I've heard so many great things about him at running back. 
that he and, and he was looking at, at at the beginning of the season. No question about it. I just had higher hopes for that defense. Uh, you you saw some some bright spots uh, from say Patrick Johnson and Cam Sample, but their secondary really struggles. I mean, they they get picked on all the time, and this is a good league, and so. Uh, you know, I guess that secondary is, is going to be who it is at this point. Uh, but I think going forward, uh, they need to be able to recruit a little bit better uh, in the secondary. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about was something that we first spoke about and, and you brought it to me um, in July. You did an article for The Advocate um, about New Orleans sports radio. And here we are in October and – I just wanted to revisit that um, because the landscape is still pretty much unchanged. First, was there anything from that piece where we discussed just this lack of consistency, this, this inability to get traction for an all sports format in New Orleans? Was there, were there things that you really wanted to include in that original piece that you were unable to, or, you know, just for Brett for length's sake, or just, um, it just, they were great things, but they just didn't fit the, the story. Well, first off, I appreciate you kind of being my uh, case study. <laughs> I think I think I got a, a ton of subscriptions simply because uh, your face was the picture of the story, right? So that, you know, everyone was everyone was subscribing because of, of your beautiful face, David. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, but it, it's it's pretty funny. Um, well, not pretty funny, but just the landscape. I, I, you know, uh, uh, your listeners may know that I've done a couple of stints in radio. Uh, I, I started. Uh, the sports hangover with Gus Kattengill back in 2010. I did that for a couple of years before I left for the times Picayune, And then Jeff Duncan and I did it for a year when we, when uh, sports 1280 was launched. And, uh, you know, some of the things, you know, that uh, I don't know if there's anything I left out that I probably would have put in there. You know, some people that I talked to wish they were featured a little bit more, which I was, I'm like, dude, I wrote 4,000 words. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I, I, I talked about a good bit of people, but, you know, I, I just feel like that uh, maybe I didn't write about this a lot, but I, I feel like that there is such a push toward like what you're doing now, pods and, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, internet radio and, and terrestrial radio is just, and terrestrial radio is just a AM FM just for your listeners. Uh, I just feel like it's, it, it's, it's fading. And, you know, when you had your unfortunate, uh, you know, flip change over at sports 1280, uh, you know, it, you know, it might, this might, it might've actually pushed you in the right direction just because I do feel like so many people, uh, turn to podcasts or, you know, things like that. And it's, it's hard, especially now, uh, you know, because I wrote this, we were still in kind of, and we still are obviously in the pandemic, but uh, really in the teeth of the pandemic where even if people were wanted to grow and look, I was hearing uh, stations were going to look to grow this, that, mm-hmm. and the other during that time. And a lot of that slowed down because people aren't buying advertising and this, that, and the other. And, uh, you know, and, and I think one of the most alarming things that I heard uh, is that if you're going to do radio, you almost have to do it as a hobby. And if that's the case, how are you going to get anything good? Like, 
yeah, that that to me. And then the, the struggle that you had to deal with is buying airtime. I mean, how does that mm-hmm. formula work? What planet are we on? You know, you know, it just it it just doesn't make sense to me. You know, uh, how any how you could get anyone to stick with it long term and make really good money uh, if you have so I just think the formula is just so flawed and. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know where that's going to change. I mean, that has to take someone really bold with deep pockets. You know, that's something you and me talk about a lot. Right. Uh, just something deep pockets to be willing to invest in it. And I don't know if terrestrial radio is worth the investment in, anymore unless you really uh, want to invest in pods or really want to invest in streaming with video and things like that because, you know, eyes can go to video, commercial, you know, that sort of thing. So it is – it's, you know, as the day go, I feel like it's increasingly more difficult for people outside of maybe a handful of places to, to really make it work, especially in this town. There are a couple of things about New Orleans in particular that that um, interest me. Uh, one is that I think the WWL dominance is is a myth that carries over. It's still strong, but the ratings numbers are not what they were at its peak like and and part of that is like you said the diversification of the way people get their information but at the same time like i looked at some studies in 2018 92 percent of the listeners in most markets are white men so part of this and anything and and just on a business sense is if i want to expand my audience i want to grow it i need to bring in new people but if we're getting the same consistent group of listeners and we're not bringing new people into the format. Well, maybe part of that is, and I just want to get your impressions. Part of that is because every host, whether it's New Orleans or Baton Rouge, two cities, New Orleans is 60% African-American. The East Baton Rouge Parish is about 46 African-American. Yet amongst all that, 100% of the hosts are white men. There are no women at all. I think that can contribute to to the lack of, of, of interest, because I think there are people who are looking for not just diversity of, of appearance, but diversity of thought. And there's a lot of similarity amongst many of the shows that are on right now. Look, there's no doubt about that. Like I, I talked with you about that. I talked with some other people where I didn't really quote, you know, we went into the diversity uh, issue, uh, it, it, you and me, and then some other people within the article. But I think that, I think that is a big scope of of where we are uh just in general you know you have you've had the same radio voices for a long time and uh you know there is certainly a lack of diversity i mean there's zero there's like zero question about it i mean and uh, but it's gonna here's the thing and you talk about how wwl radio you know they're not as dominant and that's true but they compared to everyone else they are dominant and what how they do it and you know well deuce mccallish is on he's not regular but he's on i don't know a few times a couple times a week i'm not totally sure he's not a host he's not every day so uh but in that sense uh you know they're not going to change what they feel like isn't broken and i could just say in that radio cluster I mean, WWL is the biggest seller, so they're, they're not going to change. Like they're going to, it's been the way this way for years and years and years and years and years. And like I said, it should, it has to take someone with money and a vision to be bold to hire fresh, diverse talent, and almost take the Baton Rouge route, like what they do, 
but take it to another level and bring some diverse, fresh voices. But that takes money. I mean, I don't think, uh, you know, they're going to just take a gamble and pay somebody $50,000 a year that they've never seen on the radio or heard on the radio and just go. And, you know, so it's, boy, it's really a a tough battle when it comes to that, unfortunately. You know, it's – and I'll, I'll just put it to you this way. Uh, it took years and years and years and years. I'll venture back to TV for WWL TV to finally start losing in the ratings. Yep. And that has shifted over to Fox eight, yep. and, but they've been a bold approach and doing their things, this, that, and the other. And they're, you know, they're investing while other stations who are uh, owned by bigger corporate entities are trimming, 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 trimming. So it really takes an investment and, and guts that, to do it. I hate to interrupt you, but that's exact. I, I want to get you to follow up on that because when sure. you talk about that and you've seen that, you've been in, in a local media situation and now you're in one where you were in a startup that was invested heavily, um, that wanted to bring something unique to the market on the journalism side. And so that investment of something to do something unusual. And at times the athletic has had its own issues as a startup, but it's, it, it did, it has that approach of trying to get diverse groups of, of people. And I think that like you, during this pandemic, what we did see is this huge cut down from iHeart, from intercom, from all these major um, companies that were cutting down their local stations maybe there is an opportunity. I don't know. And like you said, it takes somebody with those pockets and in New Orleans and in Louisiana in general, I don't know who has those, but um, yeah, it's, I think that corporatization of media, that's been a big part of this failure too, is because they're looking at bottom lines, not about who, how, how locals feel about their coverage. Oh, no question. And I wrote, that was one my key takeaway uh, within my story over the summer where Local ties are willing to invest and that works. Like, for example, uh, you know, Guarantee Media, uh, that's uh, 104.5 Baton Rouge and you have their shows on CST. That's locally owned. Uh, 100.3, you know, the New Orleans ESPN radio affiliate, that's locally owned. And even in Lafayette, the locally owned station uh, seems to be thriving more than the corporately owned station. And, you know, that's, you know, you got to have someone willing to do that. And, and also, like I said, take, they have to be willing to diversify and just kind of go the whole nine yards and not be stuck in almost, I don't want like stuck in terrestrial radio, like just this, all right, this is what it is. Da, da, da. No, it's, it, it's shifted all over you. So you have to shift with the times and that goes with style of hosts. It goes with approaches of podcasts, video streaming, this, that, and the other, all of this. But, you know, it's, uh, and it's also a little bit harder, say, for uh, a locally owned station uh, to be able to do that, uh, you know, because, say, Guarantee Media up in Baton Rouge. Look, they have Eagle 98.1. They have the rights to LSU. You got to have the rights to mm-hmm. something. Uh, so that's, that's helped, say, 100.3. Uh, that they have the rights to the Pelicans and are considered the flagship station. 
But the fact that that station is based in La Rose, if you, you don't have a New Orleans station that can handle that. Like, I, I think that's that's part of the entire problem, specifically with this market. Something you and I have talked about, uh, you know, off the air. But that is part of the problem, like that that you can't do that. And so it's, uh, yeah. And and since we talked, I thought things were going to pick up, and maybe it's pandemic, maybe it's some other things, but. It really hasn't, and maybe if businesses get going, maybe we can get a little bit of a jump start. Because I know, say like Eric Asher has jumped to one hundred six one, and or one I don't know whatever. Yeah, he's on Nash one hundred six. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. right, right, right. And so you know, but I don't know. I mean, I'm a uh, you know, I, it's sad to say I walked away from that story. Uh, that story uh, a little bit discouraged, and uh, you know, I'm. I need to see dramatic changes before I can be encouraged, uh, sadly to say. Yeah, I guess that's that's kind of the, the thing that I guess I won't, we'll close on is just, I, I'm like that too. I just I just wonder going forward, you know, what is that? What, what are the options? Because it's not just about me and it's not about you. It's about, to me, you know, the bigger thing to me is I think there's a large group of people who would like to be served and are just, they don't have choice. And, and when you don't have choice, you, you, you feed what you're, you know, you can eat, only eat what you're given. And I think that's where we are right now in, in sports media, um, as far as on the radio in New Orleans. Um, it's a little bit better in print, but even then we just, now we don't have, you know, outside of the athletic and now with NOLA.com and the advocate basically being the same institution, you don't really have a diversity. Of, it's, it's hard to maintain this diversity of coverage in this market. Yeah, and like it's uh, you know as as far as with us at the athletic, I mean, when we came in, there still was an advocate in the Times Picayune, so that, that was kind of a hairy time uh, for me to to jump and, and, and make that leap. But I, I feel like we at least see we're bringing something different, right? And like the Nola and the Advocate, look, you know, I respect so many people over there. You know, obviously, I want local journalism to, to thrive, but we bring something different. And uh, I think people thrive to that. But that's the thing. Like you were bringing something different when you were at 1280 and that was corporate. You know, if you were maybe at a locally owned station, maybe things wouldn't have turned out that way. Uh, And yet, uh, you know, you were bringing something different, but you got to take a risk and take an investment. Like, like I said, the athletic, I mean, we've taken risk and investment and this, that, and the other. And, and here, there's are things like we have a very strong, I could tell you push, uh, that's made internally within our company for for diversity and you know and inclusion. Like it's it's a huge push that what we uh, we're doing internally, and that's coming actually for a lot of it comes from uh, you know from employees from within, and our bosses listen, and you know our bosses are different than corporate people in like uh, for like Gannett or yes. you know Hearst or some of the like we're different, and so it's refreshing to me, but. It, like on this local level, you need someone like that to be able to come in and be willing to invest and take the time and, and make the strides that need to be made because you're right. Like I, you know, I, I could tell you, I don't listen to 870. I mean, I, you know, I, I just, I, I, I don't listen to it. I just don't, you know, I've, I'm, I know all those guys that are there, but I, I, these are just things I don't listen to. And, you know, I'm, I'm 40 years old. You think my, my son's going to, like, he's sitting here listening to 870? He's like, right. 9 and 10? No, you know, they'd listen to different things. Live stream things on YouTube, you know, pot, you know. So 
people need to do that. You know it, I know it, but it needs. And unfortunately, if we had the funds, we'd probably team up together to do it because I feel like we'd have a good passion to do it. But oh yeah, <laughs> so we don't have any money. <laughs> Which, yeah, exactly. We we need a benefactor or two or ten, but uh, but yeah, like I hope it changes because I'm with you. I mean, this this is such a sports crazed. Uh, area you know, with with so many te- like with the Saints and the Pelicans and LSU and even Tulane, uh, people deserve it. And yeah, I hope at some point that we can get to that point. But you know, like I said, it's it's taken a long time to move the needle in some mediums. Some mediums haven't moved yet, and so uh, you know, I guess we. Uh, yeah, I, I just hope we can get to that point, especially like radio pod, all that stuff. I will say I do enjoy doing the podcast um, because of the control and being able to say really what I want to say. Right. But the one thing I miss about terrestrial radio is that there is a, and, and this is just how I think people are just like it is with traditional newspapers and such. There's an air of legitimacy that goes along with having a tether like that. Um, no question. That whether it's earned or not comes along with those. Oh, there's no question. I mean, you got to have both. Like, I feel like have both. I mean, can a, you got to work really, 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 really hard to get a podcast up and rolling this, that, and the other. If you can combine both and then a video aspect like that, then you, you're, you're reaching out to that piece of the culture, that piece of the culture, that piece of the culture, you know, and honestly, that is why one, you know, ESPN Baton Rouge does so well because they do a good job of doing that. Like you and me can talk about their lack of diversity, which is obvious. But in that sense, they have been ahead of the game as far as technological Technical stuff. Yes, absolutely. Right, right, right. right. Uh, they do. They do a great pres- They have a great presence on social media. They have a great presence, um, like I said, on YouTube. They have their own channel. They do this stuff. And that's how you have to present it. You have to get it to people wherever they digest it. And that's the biggest thing is you can't be a slave to your format. You have to be able to, to go out and adapt. And hopefully New Orleans will adapt. But that's never been something that New Orleans has enjoyed doing. <laughs> oh, uh, the lack of adaptability is, is insane. Which, to me, which was so crazy, uh, like when I was at the Picayune and we went from seven-day-a-week to three-day-a-week to all these crazy things with print – that our corporate arm thought New Orleans should be like the test case. I was like, they're the worst test case. No, everyone, people want to read their paper. Like, <laughs> yes. what, what is going on here? <laughs> like, it was, I, was I, I didn't understand it. Obviously, it failed. Um, but, uh, but I, look, I can say I'm on a personal level, people have adapted to the athletic. Yep. Obviously, it's a different thing. It's not, it's not totally local, which obviously that brings a big piece to it. But it's different style of what we do. It's not a lot of gotcha stuff, clickbaity stuff. It's the, the opposite. So I, the fact that I think we're doing pretty well here as a startup, you know, I've only been there for like two and a half years. Like there is hope. There's no doubt. Like it can happen, but you know, I, I don't, but you still need people to invest in it and work in it. Like they've invested here and, and across the country. You, you need someone to be able to do that. Even if it's a corporate thing, if they come in and invest in it and do it right. But a lot of times, you know, it's the bottom dollar. I mean, there's Absolutely. a reason why, there's a reason why 1280 flipped. I mean, to, and they did that in 20 markets at the snap of a finger uh, when, when that happened. It's and, autopilot. Uh, they didn't have to hire any staff. You just played. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, 
I don't, I'm looking forward to the, when this pandemic is passed and hopefully we can be in the same room and talk about some of these things. And, but also, hey, man, I really, you know, I look forward to what the future looks like in, in the regard that I know that there are a lot of people who are passionate like you. I know that there are a lot of people who, who are, want to do, like you said, more than just clickbait, want to elevate the discussion at the same time, be accessible to fans. And um, I appreciate the work that you do. Um, and I, I thank you for it. Uh, but I, I do hope that there's some way in the future that we can collaborate on something or work on something that, you know, and for the benefit of fans and, and, and do something really cool. Look, I've, you know, I'm, I'm with you in that. I've had to be so adaptable in my, my 20 years of, of being in journalism. Uh, you know, so you got to be able to adapt. And, you know, that's uh, – you're, you're adapting. You know, other places, they got to adapt. And, like, I, I'm with you. Like, it, it, it sounds like it's a no-brainer. But to make these things happen – it's really, it's really difficult to do. And, and yet, you know, there, there is markets for this. Like I said, like, like we're, like I said, the athletic has done it here. Uh, it can happen. There's no doubt it can happen in, in radio slash podcast or video. Like it, it can happen, but uh, you know, uh, let's go. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's hopefully one day that can happen because you know, it, it is such a facet of the media here that is that, that is on being underutilized and i think it should be it should be pushed to the max because so many people love sports here no question all right thank you so much tell folks again how they can follow you um and how they can subscribe to the athletic if you have any deals going on right now and you just, and remind them again about your latest piece absolutely i appreciate it and uh look i want to thank you for being a, such a big part of that story that story was widely read like it did really really well in a pandemic and a dead point in sports, uh, a lot of people gravitated to your story. So I appreciate you really being open uh, to tell your story um, because it's one that people want to hear. And so, but yeah, the athletic.com slash new Orleans uh, subscription site. I think people, people understand that now, but, uh, uh, but yeah, like myself, Jeff Duncan, Catherine Terrell, Will Guillory, Brody Miller, we do it locally uh, on the local level. And of course we have every national facet covered which really it helps uh when you're doing collaborative efforts like this week teddy bridgewater and joe brady come back and then you can call uh you know you can read what's going on with our panthers writer who's a seasoned writer uh you know so you have all these different facets but uh, but yeah uh, my latest story up is uh, i talked to five experts on uh and it has to do with teddy bridgewater coming back i thought he would be the successor to drew Brees. obviously he's not uh, but i talked to Greg Cosell from NFL Films, Lewis Riddick from ESPN, Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network, uh, Jim Nagy from the Super Bowl, and Kurt Warner, of course, Hall of Fame quarterback. And I got all their opinions on who should be the successor to Drew Brees. It is fascinating, the people that A, they like, B, they don't, and the names that, that it's kind of they lean on. It's really a really fascinating read. So you can go check that out, theathletic.com slash new orleans and uh, on twitter at the athletic nola and of course my twitter handle at larry holder thank you again i appreciate it and i look forward to the next time we get to talk absolutely i'm glad i could jump on man good deal welcome back to hard in the paint with david grubb and i had to check in with my man i took my little break but I had to come back, and one of the first people I wanted to talk to was my dog, Big Fave 504. I'm all in favor, right? Y'all know him. Y'all love him. What's happening, big dog? Man, I'm cooling, bro. Uh, 
just got the new setup over here. I know since the last time we've been on. So I kind of changed some things up in the studios. I was just, so my folks out there, hard to paint. I was just pulling up my little notes for D, but yeah, I got the, uh, the old voodoo jersey. I know you got yep. the shirt out like that, which I, I'm, I'm going to come get my shirt, bro. I'll be right there at TJ Ribs too, bro. But it's just be too many moving pieces with LSU, which I know we're going to get to LSU in a second. And, yeah, man, uh, my wife had got me a, a sip and paint, like, class for my birthday. So, you know, old school outcast. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I like old school outcast, you know, so that's that's the whole other thing. We're still working on some stuff, but, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. bro. I hear you. I hear you. Because, you know, we just keep we keep taking it to the next level, taking it to the next level. And um, that's better for the audience. The more we do, the more the more the, the quality that we start to bring out in these shows. Um, bro, we got to start with the Tigers. They get the 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 uh, fortunate buy um, in an unfortunate manner. You know, you hate to see games um, affected by health, uh, but LSU does get a buy. They play South Carolina this weekend. LSU has struggled mightily on defense, allowing 32 points a game. I think they're 10th in the SEC right now overall in defense, um, giving up a lot of yards, a lot of points. Bopalini is under fire. Now you got Miles Brennan hurt. You might have a freshman starting at quarterback. Well, most likely will have a freshman starting at quarterback this weekend. There's a lot going on in Baton Rouge right now, brother. Baton Rouge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we play the stadium, man. That, that, that stuff roll right there. It, it's a lot of moving pieces, bro. It is uh, – we, we went on our rants uh, after the Mizzou loss. As you mentioned, dodging that Florida bullet, man. Boy, look, I'm telling you. Pandemic kind of helped us on that point. Hello, somebody. Uh, but for the most part, um, you have a team. This is this is where LSU is. I know it's a lot of opinions at LSU. Sometimes folks view, view things as you are your record. I don't really fully think that's the case with LSU, and that's an ugly comment because of the next few uh, games we have coming up here. But, I mean, because naturally I played on a defensive line, I always want to start there. And for me, I think that's an area that if it improves, the entire team improves. Um, you have a lot of young guys having to get in. When they landed from the Mizzou game, I got three back-to-back -back text messages. That's why I couldn't link up with you. I had to link up with uh, Jaquil and Roy, just asking questions about the defense and wanting to get better. So that's impressive for a freshman who's asked to get playing time and is doing his thing now. So that's impressive. But you look at, you know, Aki, you know, Glenn Logan just getting back to this type of defense. Uh, Andre Anthony uh, on a D-line. You know, Ali, Ali Gay, you know, that's a bright spot on the line. But you look at the rotation of guys that get in there, you know, Taz Moore, and you also have Joseph Evans. You know, Neil Farrell, he's back, you know, back in the deal. These guys are – you have two guys, right? Take eight, nine D linemen that's getting in the game. You got two guys, two groups of guys. One group of guys who are veterans, but they've been in this Dave Aranda defense for so long, they don't have a spring ball to really adjust to it, <clears throat> a, a full summer to adjust to it. They get this, these packages pulled in there to learn, and it's not clicking yet at all. And then you have babies like Jaquil and Roy, who are fresh out of high school, by the way. He's played in a, a two-gap system before as well. You know, we coached Donald Bernard. By the way, there was a brightness uh, to this weekend. Donald Bernard, shouts out to uh, Biscuit, 
uh, grad out of U-High, one of our Conquer Sports client. He got his first start for Navy, first time in a million years they started a freshman, let alone played them and dressed them out. But, you know, you know those guys played in a different type defense. So mm-hmm. you have Coach – then you have Coach Pelini, right? So I'm not going to just point at the players. You have Coach Pelini as well. My, my bro, I hadn't had a chance to talk to him since he'd been down here. But maybe you have to make some adjustments. So when Coach O publicly says, you know, we have to simplify – what do you mean simplify? That defense is already simple. <laughs> it's very for the linemen. Now, of course, um, you know, Coach Polini is not the coach to adjust. He, you, you may get a check, but it's no adjustment. So these big blown coverages you've seen, that's because a certain guy was supposed to do something and you don't have that zone safety blanket. You know, he likes to run a lot of man. So that's a lot of stuff. And it's been a minute since I went hard in the paint. But I, I had to kind of address that area first before we dig into the rest of the team. Yeah, because the, one of the things that you stressed even before the season began was these kids, by and large, were recruited to play a 4-3. And now they're being – I mean, excuse me, 3-4. And they're not being asked to do the reverse – and that is an adjustment. That is a change in the way you approach your, your assignments. Like you said, it's, it's about the defensive lineman. It's very straightforward, but that it requires people to win their individual battles. And LSU has not gotten enough of that from players that they expected to win individual battles or be responsible once things do get past that first level. And, and that's right. Um, and then you get to the second and third level of the defense. Yes, Derek Stingley is still the best defensive player in college football, you know, but you come off of an illness and you jump into a game, Vanderbilt, you get your legs back under you a little bit, and you don't play like Derek Stingley. Now, again, I'm not making excuses for the guys at all because everyone is held. That's one thing I really respect about Coach Ed Ogeron. He he wears his he he wears his uh his troubles on his sleeve, so he's the first to say, "Hey, the man in the mirror has to fix it first, and then it's gonna go to." And that's the way you approach it because it's a man LSU, and you hear it like the conversation has already started. Oh man, LSU terrible. Oh, this is the worst. Oh yeah, it's like people just forget like less than a you know not even twelve months ago this team was the best thing. And like I said. This D, this is what this this is what this reminds me of, bro. It's like I'm having deja vu. We win a national championship in 2007, right? The difference between this team and the 2007 team off of the national championship, like a lot of people like to call it the national championship year slump. It's the Super Bowl slump too. Experiences with the Saints. Can't pay everybody. We just won a Super Bowl. Individuals who contracts are up. I just won a Super Bowl, so I get to take that content I get to take that on my resume to the next team right so it's business even on a college level we lose Glenn Darcy we lose Carnell Stewart we lose Matt Flynn we lose Jacob Hester we lose early Doucette you know we lose Ryan Perilou but not to the draft right we lost a lot that year and I mean the that was, was like people have to remember how talented Ryan Paralou was. And that was your bridge. That started the LSU problem of not finding that continuity at the quarterback position when Paralou had to be dismissed from the, the university. That changed the history of LSU football right there. It changed it, bro. Proceed. You, you, you nailed it. it. What it did, like, 
people who were on that team know that it was Ryan Perilou that got us to the national championship. The whole team got us there, a very selfless team. But Matt Flynn got hurt in the Arkansas game. Ryan had to start the, uh, the uh, SEC championship. Now, our, our, this is in a similar situations. Like, Matt Flynn is, was that guy. Miles Brennan is that guy. You know, and this is a good segue to the next deal with the quarterbacks. Now, who's the next guy up? For us, it, it, was, a, it was a rotation. I was on the show uh, a little while earlier with Gus, and we were talking about how who's the next man up and, and, and who is that guy. He think it should be a deal where one guy start a quarter and another quarterback start a quarter. Because it's doubtful that Miles Brennan is going to play. Like, he wasn't going to – again, we tied the bullet for Florida. But who, who's going to be the next guy up? And, and that's what this is all going to boil down to, essentially. Like, exactly who's going to be the, the Andrew Hatch and Jared Lee of the 2018, which this was situations where these guys threw interceptions, right? You heard me? So, for the, t- the P's, P's to the T's, yep. picks to the touchdown. Yep. You know, so this was like nothing your defense can do. And we had guys back. Like we had Kirsten came back for his, uh, I want to say this is Kirsten's sixth senior year. Tyson came back. It was the offense. It was just different. The offense just didn't have explosiveness for a lot of that season. And I mean, you know, y'all know y'all weren't any less talented because y'all sent up as just as many guys to the NFL that year as you did. <laughs> Let's do math. But here are the loss. We lost to Alabama that year. We lost to Ole Miss at home that year. We lost to Arkansas that year in Arkansas. And that was a crazy game. That was crazy. We lose to Georgia at home in a, a missing a loss. We, we It was a fifth loss. What that fifth loss was, who 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 knows? It was a fifth loss, but yeah, we won our bowl game. But guess what happened? What ended up happening was Jordan Jefferson ended up being our starting quarterback moving forward, yep. and we act a fool in the bowl game. So yeah, that's that's that was then. This is now, of course, a different situation. But but this is an opportunity for a TJ Finley, who everybody has been touting. Hey. I don't think you expect him to go out there and put up 350 and throw for four touchdowns. I mean, this is a first start if that's who, who they go with. But either one of these guys who takes the, takes to the field, with, and they probably will get uh, – I will say this. Orgeron does not strike me as the kind of guy who wants to shuttle quarterbacks. I've not, we've not seen him do that. He didn't do that with Miles Brennan and Danny Etling. He didn't do that with Joe Burrow and, and Miles Brennan that first year. It seems to me that his whole thing is if you're going to play, you're going to play because I'm not going to have that uncertainty in your mind that if you mess up, I'm going to pull you. Right. And that's smart. That's a smart approach. You know, that's a guy, you know, coach under Pete Carroll, coach under Sean Payton. You have to be very firm with that position. That's not a position you want to, you know, tally along with, or you can't have any doubt when you're the quarterback, you know, you can't look over your shoulder because you're already looking over your shoulder from a D tackle to take it inside the trenches. Why don't we, but to, to, to make your point, I do think coach Ed Ogeron is going to take the approach where he's going to get a guy, whoever that guy, whoever wins the job on Wednesday, it's usually Wednesday or Thursday, um, particularly, Wednesday, you know, because going into Thursday and Friday are more like lighter days, walkthrough days. So and they've already done a week of this, so somebody has done a, a week lead of this. at this point already. Somebody's had a lead uh, at this point, 
So I don't know. Um, I didn't I didn't talk to any of the coaches recently uh, to even see where they're at with that. You know, a lot of the conversation has just been checking up on family and stuff. But I think in terms of football, it's the I will I can say this. I talked to Mickey Joseph. This had to have been maybe a month and a half ago, and Mickey said, we're in a time where there's a coronavirus. So he used for an example at the quarterback position, because I did ask how T.J. Finley was doing. It's natural. Both of us, uh, all three of us played for Coach Hank Tierney, legendary coach now at Ponchatoula, coached me at Sean West, Jeff coached Mickey. Um, Mickey's the most decorated, one of the most decorated uh, players in uh, Shaw history. And in state and, history, you know, we had that conversation. So, yeah, he was a serious – that's a whole – but we had to do a whole other show on Mickey. Um, but but what ended up – that Joseph family itself is Vance. a really good in segment. Yeah, like, it's crazy. Uh, but he, he he said, no, he looks good. Max looks good, too. But Big Fade, they got to be ready. He said it just like that because it's next man up. Now, in this case, um, it's a lower body injury with, with uh, Miles Brennan. But there is a coronavirus, so if he had to go into into uh, quarantine because of the virus, that means the next guy, the game's got to continue to play. I mean, we played Mizzou; they was missing like seven guys to the corona, and they still beat us. So that lets you know it's no excuse out there. It's the next man up, so it will be. It, it's natural for everyone to kind of get nervous, uh, but I can say this: you have a quarterback that has the pedigree uh, with his family and Max Max Johnson. You have a complete animal in TJ Finley. I'm talking about six foot, six foot seven, like basketball tall. Like Jamarcus Russell, arm. but in, in shape. But in shape, right. <laughs> like, he, he big. Like it's almost crazy. like a Cam Newton. Almost like, like a Cam. Yeah. That's a good comparison. And he has the big arm. He can throw. Um, he can run if needed. You know, that's something we need in this game, even on the college level. Um, and he comes from good coaching. I mean, Coach Hank Tierney, he, he, bottom line, he gets us ready for the league. I mean, you talk about Ryan Clark, you talk about Torrey James, you know, you know, you got guys like the Josephs. I mean, you're going to be ready. You're going to know football at least. So um, <clears throat> that would be interesting to see who, who ends up getting the starting job. Yeah, uh, the, the other part of that is getting the running game back on track because it's been inconsistent, fellas, you running the football um, and I think, of course, when you have a freshman quarterback, you want to protect him with a good running game. And so whether it's John Emery or whomever, somebody's got to – and you know Coach O, he, he, no matter what, his foundation is the running game. He believes in the running game. He is not going to use it as an afterthought. So I guarantee that's something else over the last two weeks leading up to this game now um, against South Carolina that he's focused on uh, with his offense as well. Yeah, and you can pay attention. You can watch the game and see. Um, and just historically speaking, LSU, we keep a saddle of backs anyway. It's never just a one-dimensional backfield. Um, it's not a situation where you have um, just two backs. You know, like everybody nowadays have their backs. You know, two to three, some cases four guys that's going to touch the ball. You look across the SEC, Georgia has two backs. They always keep two backs. Alabama, they keep two, two backs. They have a guy named Najee Harris who's tearing it up right now. Um, but the bottom line is if you do have to find your guy, like last year, all of those guys touched the ball, but Clyde Edwards was the guy. Like it was no conversation who the running back was going to be. And it, 
does appear like if you're just watching the game and, and it's our job to analyze and be able to talk and have content to our listeners, let them know what's going on. But if you look at this, Coach O starts Chris, the 18, you get that respect, right? Then Ty gets in and then Emory gets in. And then they just keep that rotation going. No, and, and The only thing I disagree with in that particular situation is the rhythm. Mm-hmm. The rhythm is thrown off. Like, I can remember, like, when it was time for me and Glenn to sub out, we'll look at coach and say, no, like, catch the next series or the series after that. We hot right now. Let's keep this going. You don't want to mess that up because a lot of times you do that and the ball will hit right up in the middle where one of us came out. And in that situation, I just think John Emery should be the, the back. If you look at the numbers, he's leading the team in rushing. He, he does have a lot to learn. I think probably your, your, your better blockers are the other two in Price and, and, and Curry. But I think the game changer that we need right now, our Elvin Kamara in this offense that we're implementing and we're running, is John Emery. He, he has the best ability. Like, LSU was about to have two yards rushing against Mississippi State till John had a little break up the middle. And we now were 12 yards rushing into the first – after the first half of the game. It's just – you know, th- these things is – it's just unprecedented, man. But but nonetheless, bro, it's – it's John Emery should be the guy. You know, what I would like to see right now, if you're asking me, just to get that flash, I wouldn't mind seeing a T.J. Finley and a, and a John Emery at the quarterback right now if there's no miles. And then rotate everybody in. But I think, you know, Les Miles, Les Max Johnson is just really showing you some some pro style. You know, he's showing you some flashes. I think you go with your better athlete at QB. Yeah, because, you know, Finley can do those things. If there, if there's not a, a throw there, he can, he can take it and adjust it his size. He can give you four or five yards, even without speed. And he's, he's a good athlete. It's not like he's not a, a, an athlete as well as a quarterback. He is a quarterback first. He is a quarterback first. He's not a runner. I think people have this confusion that he's just like, when you see a big dude like him, that he's going to be. No, he can fling it from the pocket. He can do that. But he, he is athletic it. enough Pull to the make tape plays. Up. Pull that tape up. Like, my, look, I saw it on the sideline. My son played for Dillacell. We had to go to Ponchatoula last year. And, yeah, he, t- he took all that, that D and lose contained. He wrapped around that. Nothing open. He going. He going to get that first. And, and yeah, that's and like that's, you said. I'd rather have a freshman tuck it and go than throw into coverage and, or, and lead to something that, like you said, those pick sixes that kill <laughs> a team that defensively needs all the help it can get right now to find some yeah. sort of rhythm. And if you if you have them back on the field doing because the offense isn't getting anything going and you keep putting those guys out there, you know how it is. It snowballs so quickly. One bad play becomes five, becomes ten, because you've had failure before. And, and, and young players who have not been in these kinds of positions, they are quick to, you know, kind of fall back on some bad habits. A, a big subject would 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 uh with Coach Bo Pelini coming back to LSU uh, as the defensive coordinator, the immediate gratification that people want to see, you do have two national championship coaches and Dave Aranda, who did an excellent job with us, and and Bo Pelini in his time did an excellent job with us. I don't think that type of defense is outdated, especially if you have uh, uh, athletic uh, linebackers or do like the New Orleans Saints do and just, you know, have – 
Chauncey Gardner-Johnson playing in the box or have Malcolm in the box, right? And just run it like that if you want that third guy, a more athletic guy that can cover. So, I mean, the defense still evolves. But you have to look at the personnel. You have to pay attention and be honest with the personnel. And we do have to look at we're still addressing the issue. See, this is what blind – this is – you and I, we said, especially last year, we sat down and we watched these games in person. Teams were still putting up 40 points on us. For the first you know, eight games of the season, the question was, points. was LSU's offense, defense going to lose them the national championship? The offense was just that potent last year. The same thing is happening this year, except you lose Rashad Lawrence. You lose Caleb Von Shasson. You lose – a guy who is Patrick Queen, who's Patrick killing who's it, killing it in the league right now. And Patrick Queen, you lose Christian Fold, another guy getting interceptions in the NFL. You lose all these guys, and you just expect Coach Pelini to. Matt, no, this defense works. Like th- this defense that we played in, I think the national championship year, we we allow like under twenty points a game, for like, like. We, we we wouldn't even let people cross the 50. You're not going to run on us because the, the job is to beat your guy, winning your gap. This isn't a deal where we're holding up offensive linemen where linebackers are flying around. Mm-hmm. That's Pay attention. I tell people, pay attention to the numbers. Men lie, women lie, but numbers don't. Let's pay attention to the – and everybody, like, their asses with two lines through them. So let's pay attention to those numbers. Glenn Dorsey, Tyson Jackson. In a Polini defense, them boys eight. Kyle Williams, Claude Roden. All of us went to the NFL. All of us got money. Some got little, some got a lot. We all went to the NFL, the D linemen, because of Polini defense. And we, we got talked later about round this. guys. I mean, you and I talked such- about this too before the season started, that people needed to bring those expectations back. It was it was unlikely in all of our minds that LSU was going to repeat as a national champion with that kind of overhaul. It was just, it was just difficult on its own. It's, it wasn't like Alabama making that similar, you know, making a transition. It, LSU's situation was so different in what it lost. And then the time. To, to, yeah. And then to lose the non-conference schedule where you would have tried to iron out a lot of these kinks against some lesser opponents where the mistakes are able to or don't have as big a uh, consequence. You didn't have any of that. So you don't get to build up your confidence as a freshman, as a sophomore, as a first time starter. You didn't get to build up any confidence of seeing this work. So now you're going up against SEC caliber opponents who are as talented in some places. And if they aren't as talented, a lot of them have more experience. And that makes all the difference. Not only do they have more experience playing, they have, you are inexperienced at your defense as well. So, like, this is not a panic thing. Nobody should be panicking. Talk about what LSU is in December. That's, that's my thing is, where are they in December? I'm not crying over what you see today because I expected this to some degree. I did as well. Like, I, I was – I'm not saying one or two people make a difference, but three or four people make a difference. <laughs> I mean, the coaching staff changes. The you know the players change. The you lose spring football. You lose your summer workouts. You don't with all these new things going on. You get basically a six week camp, 
and you're going to tell me you're going to come out here and go undefeated? Nobody should have expected that out of this group. And that doesn't mean that those guys are not going to compete every week, but you got to be realistic. You got to take your fan glasses off sometimes and just look at reality and say, man, it's not always about the next year because the year after this, that's when you're supposed to see the growth from this year. Tyler Shelvin, Karen Denson, Jamar Chase. That's a, you look at the Mississippi State game, Mizzou game getting blown over the top, you got Kerry back there. You got a veteran back there. That could e- ease the pain along with Jacoby Stevenson. You got guys that played on that national championship team in those roles. You just literally have Derek Stingley back there. You know, Flotten, all those guys got reps, but they didn't get a lot of significant reps. Who's like? So, who's the vo- voice? Who's the? There is nobody who knows everything about the defense to talk to the other guys in the huddle and say, "This is what we do." And how that's what's been so important to LSU's defense over the years is having that leader. Whether it was a Devin White, whether it's a Caleb Von Chaseon, whether it's this that the other, there's been somebody particularly up the middle, whether it's a safety, a D lineman, or a linebacker, who's been that leader, and they don't have that guy right now. Not at all. Not at all, man. We're going to get that. I, I, I look forward to the South Carolina game. Like I said, win, lose, or draw, I, I'm just looking for this team to go out there and get better each week. That's all we can ask for. I want to ask you one quick question about this weekend, too. Okay, so Nick Saban tests positive on Monday. He's out on the field on Saturday. The policies that are given to the SEC players on COVID are that on your first positive test, no matter what, first positive test requires a two-week quarantine. Why is it that you're going to have these restrictions in place for players? And Nick Saban is on that field, not wearing his mask properly, was in the locker room, was in the, the you know film room with these players, and I'm pretty certain he didn't wear a mask at all times then. How, hip, how hypocritical is it for the SEC to talk about $100,000 fines for teams, for teams not following protocol when they have this double standard for Nick Saban, who should have been and should still be in quarantine. I think it was like 2010, maybe. Kanye West made a song that says, no one man should have all this power. Then there's songs power. Mm-hmm. I think I'm correct on that. Mm-hmm. I don't know who got Shazam on this to show us something. That's it. Pick that up. That's it. Bingo. And that's the best way I would go save it. Look, I was, he had the corona. I'm like, oh, man, coach not going to like this. That's the old ball coach. Shouts out to all my old ball coaches. Coach Saban, Coach Miles, Coach Payton, all y'all. Shouts out to appreciate the opportunities. Uh, plural. Uh, but <laughs> when I when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, yeah, duh. <laughs> like, that, doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. You th- You honestly think Nick Saban gonna really miss this game. Like, and, and that's what I was thinking to myself. Like, it's Wednesday. He got the Zoom on. Like, he running all the meetings from his house. He's on the phone with his doctors. He's trying to get another test, and he gets a negative. Makes Just in time. And Just they got to there to drive with, with nine hours to get this thing done and record. Got it done. Come on, it man. Done. But it's still then. The policy is clear. The policy is clear. The SEC file, I'm reading it right now. And it says that you have to. <laughs> that you, you don't see what it be. says except your Nick Saban? You re- keep reading. Right. Read, it, read it, the it, thing it, all the way through. But I mean, it's to read me. Read the fine print. What can a. Look, we saw it with Sean Payton. 
Sean Payton quarantined himself. Quarantine. He was he was and and people who talk about well Saban was asymptomatic. Go read up again. COVID can be transmitted by asymptomatic people because you had, don't have symptoms doesn't mean you can't pass it on. So if a player or a staff member or somebody is to get sick after this, me and Nick Saban gonna have a you know if it was me, me and Nick Saban got a problem. You put me in jeopardy because you want because you want to be the big man. Man, it's, when I saw that, see like most people were surprised. Like, oh my God, Nick Saban, wait. Didn't he just have Corona on Wednesday? Well, how was he able to coach? And it's just this big story about it. And I'm like, <laughs> that's the most powerful man in, in college sports. He's the most powerful man. Like, it was either going to be that or he was going to have one of the webcams, the way they just, like, he's on the sideline. Like, it's going to be like somebody holding the cell phone with him on. It, he was going to do something. This dude, like I said, he, him, Bill, show, they do this. They, they look, let me tell you something. So, I mean, to your point, though, we, we do need to jump. Like, this is my whole thing. Like, make it even across the board. And this just makes it a better story for players getting paid and, you know, being able to – because this is the thing. Everybody not going to the NFL, nobody's even trying to sell that anymore because the NFL shows it's not promising every day. So, right now we're making money for this. Or, so, so, that's because, like I said, they're going to be able to do what they do regardless. You know, it's, it's never going to be a situation where – you know, they can't do what they, uh, you know, they, they can't perform the way they want to perform. That's the way they want to run their deal. I want, this is the last COVID-related thing, too, but it's, it's, it's another important one. The Saints will play at home this weekend um, against the, the Carolina Panthers. There was talk that the game would get moved to Tiger Stadium. But there have been a lot of attacks on the mayor of New Orleans, Latoya Cantrell. I don't agree with everything Latoya Cantrell has done as mayor. I don't even know if I would say that she's a, a good mayor. I don't, I don't know if I would say that. But I can say this. New Orleans has the lowest COVID rate in the state of Louisiana right now. It's down to 1% uh, of inf infections in New Orleans. Lord, in any other part of the state, we're entering the worst part of the year. Flu season is about to get in its heart. And we're talking about people saying that you, you are trying to kill this the city killed the saints, whatever, by not allowing fans in the building. Again, I just don't see how the risk is worth the reward in this situation because it ain't no different, right? I mean, this, you get the better show on TV, you get the better look and you're staying healthy. And I don't care if people aren't getting it in the stadium. You don't know that for certain because they can transmit it to when they get home. Right. Exactly. Like, this is the thing, man. For a very long time, the I never wanted to mix politics with sports, and I'm not going to do it, right? Certain things that come up, I'll answer those questions. We'll go however the case may go. But in the case of what the mayor of New Orleans is doing, Mad American Trail is protecting the folks in the city of New Orleans. We're not going to forget about Mardi Gras. Um, we're, we're not going to forget about Mardi Gras and how many people got affected and how many people died. Hey, we're not going to, we're not going to forget about, um, we're not going to forget about the whole situation with um, 
you know, everything falling wayside in the city. We're not going to be oblivious to the fact that people are out of work. People, you know, they, they need jobs. But we're not going to pretend like those jobs were paying dividends. We're not going to do any of that. And we're not going to pretend that New Orleans had an economy that wasn't exploiting the same people that they say they want to fight for now. That all these folks want to say fight for the waiters and all that stuff. The system in New Orleans has exploited those people. Those people can't live in this city right now. Right now. So it's different if, you know, these folks are full benefits, you know, you're getting paid a livable wage, something where you could take care of your whole family off of getting real paid vacation and, and making a, a, a livable wage, whatever that may be. It may, may be 40 grand. It may be 50 grand. These people are making badly 10, 15 grand a year off these deals. They got to survive off tips. So we're not going to make it like, and again, this isn't my opinion. This is the folks who work in the industry. This is their stories. I'm not digging this from what I'm saying. So my, and lastly on this, man, put some respect on that queen name. Stop everybody out here just disrespecting this woman. Have an opinion about her politically. Voice your opinion. But that's we still got to remember, this is a lady. You know, yes, she does have a, a position that she, – she, and she's doing her job. To your point, you said that, that, you know, our numbers are the lowest in the state in Orleans Parish because we have tight restrictions. That's how we beat this thing. I mean, it's, it's – See, man, another thing, too, if you hadn't lost anybody, you heard me? A lot like I have friends and, and family that's gone now due to COVID, you know? So, like, pump the brakes on all this and that and all that. Man, look, go ahead, whatever. Man, nobody thought about those people any other time of the year. And we use it, we're trying to use poor people now as a reason to continue to be entertained. The only thing you talk about is you want your entertainment your way because you don't care about those people on a regular basis. Is this, the conversation is never about them on the economic stripe that they face on a daily basis, a yearly basis, a, a historical basis in the city of New Orleans that, it, that is surrounded, and a state in Louisiana that is built on economic inequality. So I just think it's just, it's, it's, it's not about the politics, it's about, you know, let's just be factual here. Let's be factual, let's deal with the reality of the situation. And if we can be all, if we are honest and have the uh, disagreement, that's one thing. But if you're playing on something that I think a lot of people are doing is playing on an unfounded financial fear. Look, we all suffer. You suffering. I'm suffering. I've taken a serious hit this year. Sure. You know what I'm saying? I know you have. You know what well, I'm saying? Been, How much money been, has been left? We've been very vocal about that, too. Like, on your Dude. show, we were like, man, it's real. Remember one time we was on your show, I was cutting grass. <laughs> I was like, Bruh, it's, it's, it's real. It's real, yeah. It's real. And, and, and so, for me, I'm not trying to play with anybody's money. I ain't trying to take no money out of anybody's pocket. But I'm not going to watch more people die for my, for, to, to, for my entertainment. It's just not, it's, it's not part of who I am. Not people got to live with how I am live. either, man. And we just going to keep all our family and friends in our prayers and our leaders, leadership under prayers, and man, it's we're gonna get through this, bro. But it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be, it had to be collectively. You know, right. like, look, we in the industry, bro. Like, think I don't want the super on full people right now and enjoying themselves. You think that we don't want to be at Tiger Stadium on Saturday like we do, like yeah. we have done for the past six years together and been up there and doing these games, bro? I would love to be doing that. 
You gotta yeah. you gotta respect the big old butt on it, but at the same time, we 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 have to be smart. Like I said, you you at your home studio, I'm at my home studio. We still getting the information out, you know, and it's the best way to do it, man. Bruh, I got to let you go. I know you're busy. So let the folks know how they can follow you as always. And when you got another episode of Inside the Trenches coming from. Man, y'all can follow me at Big Fade 504 Inside the Trenches, brand new episode out right now featuring All-American uh, fourth-round draft pick to the Dallas Cowboys, Skylar Green, talking about some of the same stuff me and D talked about the LSU football team, particularly the receiving corner last few years. Y'all check that out on Overcast, iTunes, wherever there's podcasts, Inside the Trenches with Marlon Favorite. And, man, thank you, D. Y'all make sure y'all check my boy D out around the clock, too, you dig. Thank you for having me on the show today, bro. All right, brother. You know we're going to talk real soon. You take it easy now. Peace. Thanks, man.